Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. So, right, okay, we're believing the Holy Spirit for a move of His power and His presence amongst us. He's at work, right? He's at work amongst us in these days. He's in work in all our lives. There's a renewing work of the Spirit that's happening amongst us in these days as His church, and a longing and a hunger to see the kingdom of God come in our streets and our cities. And so we want to posture our hearts, and that's why we've kept this theme going. We want to posture our hearts, we want to bend our spirits, we want to incline our ears. We want to incline our bodies towards what the Lord is doing in these days. And I think we're growing in confidence in the voice and the whisper of the Lord, saying something along the lines of, prepare yourself, because I really want to do something. Prepare yourself, prepare your hearts. And so we're finding ourselves praying for an outbreaking of His Spirit, for an awakening in our day and in our time. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about what that might look like. But in order for us to learn what preparation for that would look like, um, we want to posture ourselves in these exciting days in which we live to learn from the Bible and to learn from previous moves of God in history about what we might need to do as we prepare ourselves. And so we continue to... um, Have I got this working, guys? We continue to... um, Next one. To, I haven't got it down here. So yeah, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy, right? That's what we are orientating this all around. And we've looked, I'm not going to go through it too much tonight. Um, keep going. It's not working tonight, no? Okay, the first four we've looked at, um, holy discontent, the burden of God and contending prayer, the idea of the remnant of God and how um, people are gathered together who are hungry for God as he thrusts his burden upon them. And last week we looked at the centrality of the cross and the importance of the cross. And tonight we're going to go one step further and look at the exclusive pursuit of the presence of God. But before we do that tonight, I just want to um, sort of transition into this was talking a little bit more where we took off from last week. Um, with the centrality of the cross, because I just feel like it helps us understand what I think God's doing in the world at the moment, okay? And that's what I want to try and help us discern. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I think what we're witnessing in the world at the moment, and what we're witnessing, particularly in the West, is, is the judging of the nations and the sin systems of the world. I think that we need to be careful, obviously, when we talk about judgment, because um, we've got that wrong a lot of times as a church, and judgment must start in the house of the Lord, in our own hearts. But secondly, we've got a wrong understanding often about the judgment of God. And um, what it's not about, it's not about a violent God who can't wait to get back at everyone because they haven't been doing what he says. That's not the judgment of God. God is love. God is always love. God is never not love. God's holiness, God's justice, or God's wrath can only be talked about when we talk about God's love, right? It's the kind of diamond at the center, if you like, and there's loads of other different characteristics, but God is love, so God's love is never revenge, right? We see that in Jesus. It was never revenge. It was never, I'm going to get them back. (laughs) 
It was the opposite, right? Um, so God's love is not revenge-orientated, but it is restorative. And uh, God is not out to get revenge in the world that he loves. But throughout history, what we've seen is that God <clears throat> at times has to allow mankind because they've become so disobedient as his children, to almost exhaust themselves in their own independent ways. They have chosen to continually ignore him, and so much so that he kind of has to go something like, well, if you're going to trust yourself, then this is where it's going to lead. Or if you're going to put your trust in idols, then this is where they're going to bring you. Or if you're not going to choose my will continually and continually choose your own will, then this is where your will will lead you. And God sometimes, I think, allows culture to come to a place because it's become so disobedient, so rebellious, that it comes to a place where it exhausts itself. And I think we're in a moment where, I think it's Mark Sayers talks about cultural exhaustion. We're exhausting, like we're, we're looking at things that we're here and we just cannot comprehend where society is getting and how what is being called good now. Yeah. We're just, we're, we're, we're exhausting ourselves. And the Spirit of Jesus goes into the world and has gone into the world to rescue the world and to expose these systems. It tells us, um, there we go, we're working now. It tells us in John 16, when he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is what Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit would do when he came. He'd show them that their refusal to, refusal to believe in him is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above, where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. That judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. We must remember that God's actions are set in the context of love. The Bible tells us that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to rescue the world. He's come to destroy the works of the devil and the principalities and powers of this world even though many human beings have been co-opted and all of us at some point in our life have partnered with the sin systems of the world and the plans of the enemies. And so the Holy Spirit comes and exposes those. And so the scriptures present to us not a God who is just angry, who lashes out, but like a loving parent who is brokenhearted with the way the world is that he created and brings discipline to the world like a loving parent would in order to redeem it and rescue it. And so the wider context of the fact that I think God is exposing sin at the moment is because he wants to win the world. The sin systems aren't working. The ways and the things that we've trusted in, we've trusted in horses and chariots and all those kind of things as the Bible talks about. We've trusted in idols that we have allowed ourselves to create and by the Spirit, those things are being exposed so that we can know that there is a God who offers mercy. The problem is when man continues and continues to reject that mercy, he invites the consequences of that onto himself. It's not that God can't wait to punish. It's that we willingly often choose to refuse the gift of mercy. And so why it's so important for us to understand the centrality of the cross and why in times of revival this is such an important factor, as it always should be, is because this sin needs dealt with. The reality is something has to be done about sin. The sin of the people who have become complicit with the enemy, you and me, and the world around us, who have chosen to partner with the sin that the enemy has enticed us with. 
God would not be a just God unless God did something about sin and evil. Would that not be true? God would not be just. And we have to remember that the Bible is clear that God is a God of justice. He will do something about evil. Aren't we actually happy about that? Aren't we happy that one day evil, wickedness, everything that sin has bore is going to be dealt with? Righteousness and justice, the Bible says, are the foundation of God's throne. But the central point of our God story is that while God is very much the God of justice and is going to do something about justice, is that mercy triumphs over judgment, the Bible tells us. Mercy, mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he was voluntarily taking into his own body the judgment of God for the evil of mankind. I don't believe that the Father, in some kind of perverse way, got some sort of satisfaction out of pouring out his wrath on Jesus. I don't, I don't really see that, I'll have to say, even though it's preached sometimes. I believe Jesus voluntarily offered up his life as a sin offering in order to take the consequences of sin into his own body so that he could tell the world that justice is going to be met. But that justice was met out in the body of Jesus so that the message that we have to the world is you've turned away from God. You've rebelled away from your maker. But the good news is mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hearts that no mercy cannot stay silent. That's why we sing it. Because this is the good news that God has given us. He wants to expose the sin systems of the world in order that he might show us the medicine for our misery, which is his mercy. In your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And what happens is when we taste of this mercy, when we get a taste of it, it's so sweet. When we sing that song, uh, Jesus, Holy and Anointed, one of, one of my favorite songs, it's like honey on our lips. It's like water to our souls. Yeah, it's the, the beauty of the mercy of Jesus. When we taste that, we want more. We want to taste more of it, which leads me to the next point tonight. In times of revival, there is, um, there is, sorry, I don't have that put up there for some reason. An exclusive, number five, point number five, an exclusive pursuit of the presence of God. A hunger and a desperate desire for his presence because we've tasted of his mercy. As the systems of the world are exposed, as I've talked about, the counterfeit gods, the idols that we've allowed to be our gods, they are exposed for the sham things that they are. They're exposed and the things that we've tried to find satisfaction for our souls in, we find that they just aren't able to satisfy us. We realize that we were made for so much more, for a purity of presence that these things can't give us. We realize that the things that we are living have been polluted. The water that's filling our souls, as much as it felt lovely to taste at the start because this is what it made it feel, we realize they're actually polluted because they're not coming from the source. And we start to realize there's got to be clear pure, holy water that's going to fill and quench my thirsty soul. And this is what happens in times when people are 
awakened in their hearts when they're being renewed as they prepare for a revival. I love C.S. Lewis and what he says here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. There's something else for us. There is presence, the essence of reality, what our souls are created to enjoy. It's an offer to us. And in times of revival and when the church is being renewed towards a revival, they start to realize that there is an exclusive pursuit of his presence that is needed over and above the things that we normally satisfy, that we, that we think might satisfy us. We become aware that we were created for this and it's actually available and that we want more of it. It's an insatiable kind of hunger starts to be stirred, something that we become desperate for, something that we long for above all else. In times of revival, people aren't content to come to church to sing a few songs and hear we talk. They're desperate to meet him. They're disappointed if they go home and the room hasn't cracked open with the manifest presence of God. In times of revival, we get a little bit kind of righteously angry if we're just going through the motions. And it's not like an intensity that's religious or has a religious spirit. It's an intensity that brings the joy of the Lord because we've tasted of his presence, of his very character. And in the days that precede revivals, this is what people realize. This is what they taste. It's like they've woken up to another possibility. It's like they've begun to taste something in these moments, and that leads them to something that they don't want to settle for anything less. I don't think it's too strong, actually, to say that people become addicted to the presence of God. Because it does something. It satisfies our hearts. Remember that old song, only you can fill my deepest longing. Yeah, Only you, only you, Jesus. And, and we just want to taste more of that. And we're willing to actually surrender our lives and decrease so that he can increase in ours. Because we realize that it's, it's only that that heals our souls. It's only his presence that forgives our sins. It's only his presence that brings peace to our troubled, tormented minds. It's only his presence that melts our hard hearts, that binds up our wounds. It's only, our, it's only his presence that empowers us for service. We become, we, be, we become focused on that and that one thing alone. The problem is with some revivals, though, or some kind of, maybe not revivals, I should say, but like moves of God where the Spirit of God is poured out and people do taste of his presence, it all can get a little bit self-obsessed and becomes one big kind of Christian meeting. And we would do well, if that was ever to happen, to look at the Bible and to look at the book of Acts. Because what we see there is when the presence of God comes upon them, it spills into the streets. We see them declaring the good news of Jesus. We see them preaching on the streets. We see them healing the sick. We see the demonstration of the kingdom. Because what happened in their hearts they long for in the streets? What happened in their meetings they long for out there? Remember Revival is renewal gone viral. And so when the renewing presence of God comes and we taste of it, we taste of his presence like none other can satisfy, then we want that for other people. And then what happens in times of revival, that manifest presence of God breaks out in pubs, in streets, in schools, on buses, 
the atmosphere starts to shift and change. And the people who didn't have to contend for it, who weren't part of the remnant, all of a sudden get in because somebody else contended for it, because somebody else prayed it in. And that's the message of the gospel, that the ones who come to work in the 11th hour get the same reward as the ones that have been working all day. And it messes with our kind of rational logic heads. But that's the good news of the gospel. That's the grace of Jesus. It's ridiculous. It's scandalous in many ways. It goes against and defies all our logic. But that is what happens in the kingdom of God. We want to share it. And this is what evangelism is in its pure sense. Evangelism in its pure sense is an overflow of worship and of presence. When we experience that, we overflow with it. Now, that's not to say that we should all be kind of feeling wonderful and floating through the streets when we tell people about Jesus. We should just tell people about Jesus in season and out of season, right? We just do that. That should be do the work of an evangelist, the Bible says. But at its purest sense, the Lord wants us to live in a place of overflow where we're encountering his presence in such a way that just, we're just carrying it into workplaces. There's just something different about who we are. And it melts hearts. It convicts the hardest of heart. It reveals the sins of man and yet reveals the greater power of the grace of God. And in times of revival, these times are an echo or a foretaste, if you like, of what we're going to enjoy, the manifest presence of God on the earth. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, um, what do you mean by this manifest presence of God? What is that? And that's a good question. So I ain't going to answer it, all right? The manifest presence of God. Because I think sometimes people get confused by that. Do we believe God is everywhere? Put your hand up if you think God is everywhere. Do we... um, Put your hand up if you experience God in every moment of every day. Okay? So, bit of a difference, right? So what I want to propose to you tonight is there is a distinction, if you like, between the omnipresence of God, omni means everywhere or all, the God who is everywhere, and the manifest presence of God. God is everywhere. We can enjoy him wherever we go. There is no place where he is not on this earth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the psalmist said. But his manifest presence comes when people turn their hearts towards him. When people consecrate their hearts to the Lord, turn to him, the immediacy of his presence... The revelatory nature of his presence in those moments rests and descends upon his people as a lived, experienced reality. I don't think anybody maybe says this better than my, uh, than, I was going to say my mate, <laughs> A.W. Tozer, right? And, uh, I wish he was. Anyway, he will be in heaven, right? So, uh, I'm going to take you through this. This is a long quote, but I, it just says it better than I could. Okay, so st- stick with this. It's just two, two slides. If God is present at every point in space, if we cannot go where he is not, which I've just said, right? He's everywhere. We cannot even conceive of a place where he is not. Why then has not that presence become the one universally celebrated fact of the world? If God is everywhere and we can't conceive of a place is not, why is everybody not getting that? Why is everybody not? God is everywhere. The patriarch Jacob in the waste hurling wilderness gave the answer to that question. He saw a vision of God and he cried out in wonder, surely the Lord is in this place 
and I knew it not. So we had a moment when the angels ascended and descended, and he was able to say, God is in this place, and I knew it not. Jacob had never been for one small division of a moment outside the circle of that all-pervading presence, but he knew it not. That was his trouble, and it is ours. Men do not know that God is here. What a difference it would make if they knew. This thing's demonic tonight. The presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God. For his work, it is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in love and obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the life of his face. God is everywhere, but he wants to manifest himself to us. And often the problem is that our hearts aren't surrendered and turned. It's a little bit like Moses who was walking past the burning bush one day. It wasn't like he walked up and then the bush started to burn. It was like he was walking past one day and it says he turned aside because he saw a burning bush. And then God said, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. That tells me that the whole thing was always holy. But it was just in that moment that Moses recognized, I need to get my shoes off because God is doing something in this moment because he turned aside, because he opened up his heart, because he said, God, come and reveal yourself to me. And the beauty of it is, Jesus said, Chris, you're going to have to keep with me here tonight because that's not working. Is that all right? Give it up for Chris. He's a good lad. Right? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is it, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. This is the words of Jesus, and manifest myself to him. So Jesus is saying, it basically means, I want to make myself known plainly to him, to us. And when he comes in us, he does so in such a beautiful way. He makes himself known to us. Now let me give you two quick Hebrew words. Can you, do it? Can you cope with Hebrew tonight? Come on, can you cope with Hebrew? Yes. Praise the Lord, right? The first one is a Bible one. The second one isn't actually a Bible one, but it's one the rabbis use all the time. The first one, some of you will know this on the screen, kavod. When it talks about the glory of God in the Old Testament, it uses this word kavod. It was originally used in business when it came to measure weights and scales of different substances. It then grew as a word even referred to people's actual physical weight in a few instances. But it grew to become something that had to do with the honor of the person, that somebody carried a certain weight or gravitas upon them. Not unlike the way that we might say today that this particular situation has got great gravity to it or has got great weight to it. Okay? There was substance to it. And the word developed over time. And then it was used for the glory of God, the weight of his presence when it came manifested amongst his people. And often that was associated with certain physical manifestations like angels and fire and light and thunder and incredible moments that give us an understanding that God was near. But those moments 
were not about the physical manifestations in and of themselves. They were of another layer, which was the revelation of who God is. And God wanted his people to know. And so God's glory, God's presence came amongst his people. The second word is not, um, is not in the Bible, but the rabbis of old talked about the presence of God as Shekinah. Okay, say Shekinah. Shekinah, yeah, there you go. This isn't in the Bible, as I said, but the rabbis spoke of Shekinah as God's manifest presence. And it means to dwell. And they had these pictures in the Old Testament when the children of Israel would have gathered and the glory of the Lord in a cloud would have come down and rested on his people. And they referred to this as the Shekinah presence of God. God making himself manifest because he was always there. But there was moments when God wanted them to know and make plain. And that was in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, the, the, the beautiful good news is that God has shared that glory abroad in our hearts. And if you put those two words together, kavod and um, shekinah, we get the picture of the God who wanted the very weight of his presence to come and dwell amongst his people. And so when I wake up in the morning and I sit in my chair and I open my Bible and I have my cup of coffee, right? It's not me just doing like a little word for the day, getting out and feel self feel better. What I do in those moments is I, I'm inviting the weight, the weight of the presence of God to come and dwell on me. And then what I start to experience, layer after layer after layer of goodness. Layer after layer after layer of compassion, layer after layer after layer of long-suffering love because the weight and the substance of his presence is making himself manifest. You feel it right now? That's the weight of his presence. It's just heaven. Just heaven. His beautiful, beautiful presence is coming to dwell amongst his people. And people in revival, the remnant in times of renewal, they're like Jacob and Moses. They've turned their hearts towards him. They've turned aside. And they've welcomed the weight of God. And so those kind of people have a holy focus of them. Because here's what they want. They want the real thing. They want the real thing. They don't want the nonsense. They don't want the wishy-washiness. They don't want their ears tickled. They don't, they're not coming to church because of who they fancy, even though that might be, I'm not saying that's wrong. Right? You know, Manny's a good husband and wife who's found in church, all right? But I'm not saying that's wrong. But you know what? They go more. They're not coming for the coffee. They might be like it all. There's all of loads and loads of good things like community and family and all of those things. They're all brilliant, but they're coming for one thing. Or the remnant, they're coming for one thing. They're coming for the presence, the weight of His glory. Because if they touch it, they'll be changed and transformed. And so, because they want that and they want that alone, they wait. They wait. They tarry. They don't rush. They wait for his presence. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we just want to 
get the get this thing through, get the after church cafe, get home, a couple of pancakes and a cup of tea, you know, watch whatever's on. They wait. They wait. They wait for the presence of God. They wait, W-A-I-T, for the wait, W-E-I-G-H-T. They wait for it. And we see that in the early church, don't we? Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. I've went for the King James here. My dad will be proud. <laughs> He's never been prouder using the King James tonight. But t- tarry ye. <laughs> right. The reason... The reason I want to say that is because I love that word tarry. Tarry. Tarry in his presence. Just tarry and wait for 10 days. I wonder what it was like. You see, we all love to get to the point where the Holy Spirit actually came, don't we? But I wonder what it was like for 10 days. I wonder how many people, what are you bunch of clampets doing stuck in a room? It's the fifth day now. Any chance you coming out and doing some work? I wonder what it was like just to wait and to wait. And to wait for the wait. For the wait of his presence to come. Imagine they hadn't waited. We wouldn't have been here, maybe. <laughs> but they waited for the wait of God. Jesus showed us. Because it's, it's all for intimacy. Jesus showed us this. Even when he was doing miracles, tells us in John 15, news about him spread all the more. The crowds of the people came to hear him and to be healed of his diseases. What would we be doing there? We'd be setting up our own ministry. We'd be like getting this banners. We'd be like selling it, all of that. And then it says Jesus withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Because it's always been about the presence. They want that one thing. And so revival people are people who tarry, who linger who long, who want to become attuned to the presence of God, the manifest, the manifest presence of God. They allow him to rest there. They allow, they, they allow themselves to wait for the wait of God. They lift up their hunger before the Lord. They lift up their desperation. They lift it up before the Lord so his manifest presence will come. Not just on themselves, but on the city and on the nation. And people out there then get to experience it because the people in here have chose to tarry for it. Will we? Will we? As I kind of just draw this to a close, five more minutes, then we're going to worship. I want to propose to you that some people did this for you that you don't know and you're only going to see them in heaven. Some people did this for you. You know, a hundred years ago, there was amazing things happening in church, but we just take things for granted. We get things for free because other people contended. In a hundred years ago, just over, well, nearly 120 years ago now, at the start of the 20th century, in um, all over the world, but in, I'm going to just take a few moments to tell you about uh, what God did in America, and particularly in the LA. They had heard what God was doing in Wales, and they were like, it's happening in Wales, we want it here. And so they started to pray. And they were already praying that God had been doing things, been inspired by some of the things he had been doing. 
But they were hungry for something more. And for all the moves of God that I've referred to, the Moravians, John Wesley's awakenings, all of that, there was still kind of like a hunger to experience the life of the Spirit that hadn't really been poured out in the way that it had been in Pentecost. And these very ordinary, if you like, believers in the back streets of L.A. on a little street called Bonnie Bray Street, I went there just in June this year. Nothing special whatsoever, just like one of the streets in Lurgan. And they're hungering for the presence of God. And they're longing for something like Pentecost to come upon them. What would it be like to speak in tongues and declare the works of the Lord? And it was obvious the Spirit was praying. There were, there were, obviously the Spirit was stirring them. And they were drawing, drawing them into new places that God wanted them to go. And they were hungry for his presence. And then one day after numerous days of prayer, and I think it's on the screen. Um, yeah, I'll refer to that in a minute. One day after numerous days of praying and fasting, William Seymour, who had moved to L.A., who was the son of a slave, um, a, a black man in L.A., and he prayed for a man called Edward Lee, just one of his people. He prayed for him. And they'd been praying and longing and hungering for God to manifest his presence. And then, as he prayed for this man, Edward Lee, the Holy Spirit fell on him, and he started to speak in tongues, in the Spirit. And then they made their way to the little house where they were supposed to be meeting because this happened just the two of them prior to the meeting. And when they walked into the house and the Holy Spirit fell in that room and more and more people began to come that night and the Holy Spirit started to move. And night after night it moved and after a few weeks they just didn't have enough room and they moved to this place here, a little mission place in Azusa Street. I, I don't know about you, but that doesn't look that, it's not sexy like that building, sure it's not, Right? But let me tell you what happened. For three years, night and day, for three years, night and day, God moved in that place in power. The Holy Spirit moved in ways that we could never imagine. Because of that, 600 million Pentecostals are in the world right now. That is the fastest growing movement in the last century. 600 million in 100 years. They reckon it'll be 1 billion by 2030. Incredible times where we're told that the presence of God cut people down like grass. Strong men lay for hours under the mighty power of God, it was said. Something happened when the presence of the Lord came. This is William Seymour. And this is what it says about him. Finishing with this. This is a quote from Frank Bartleman, who was one of the key intercessors who recorded lots about the revival. I read this during the summer and it hasn't left me. <laughs> I, just, I just long for what I'm about to read. Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty boxes, one on top of the other. He usually kept his head inside the top one during the meeting and prayer. There was no pride there. The services ran almost continuously. Seeking souls could be found under the power almost any hour of the day or night. The place was never closed or empty. The people came to meet God. He was always there, hence a continuous meeting. The meeting did not depend on the human leader. God's presence became more and more wonderful. In that old building with its low rafters and bare floors, God broke strong men and women to pieces, and he put them back together again for his glory. It was a tremendous overhauling process. Pride and self-assertion, self-importance and self-esteem could not survive there. The religious ego preached its own funeral sermon quickly. It's brilliant, isn't it? 
a religious ego preached its own funeral sermon quickly. No subjects or sermons were announced ahead of time and no special speakers for such an hour. No one knew what might be coming, what God would do. All was spontaneous, ordered by the Spirit. We wanted God. We wanted God. What do you want? We wanted God. When we first reached the meeting, we avoid human contact and greeting as much as possible. We wanted God first. We got, on our, we got our heads under a bench in the corner in prayer and met only men in the spirit, knowing them after the flesh no more. We prearranged no program to be jammed through in time. Our times was the Lord's. We wanted God. We wanted God. Do we want God? Or do we want all the kind of frills around what it is to be a Christian? Or do we want the real thing? Do we want his manifest presence? And so, there's more to say tonight, but we want to respond to the Lord tonight. As we come before the Lord in these days, we have to completely surrender again. They were unconcerned about time. So I just want to say that we really want to honor people's time, but we want to honor God. So um, over the next few weeks, we just want to say you're really free to go at 8 o'clock if you need to go. That's no problem whatsoever. But we aren't necessarily going to close the meeting because... Um, we're just going to let people go. Is that all right? And please don't feel bad about that. Just go when you want to go, okay? You're released and free to do that. But when God starts to move, our mindset start to shift. And I think it's because we believe that we're going to start to see a remnant contend for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit and be in expectation for Him to come. And so during this season of prayer, we expect a remarkable hunger for the presence of God to be birthed in this place. An even greater hunger. We want to start to taste more of his presence. And you might become undone. You might get unraveled. And you hopefully will want it for everybody else. And so... Sometimes when the presence of God start comes, it manifests in our bodies. And for some reason, when we get into church, we get weird about that. But we would never get weird if we were at a concert and we say, oh, when they played that song, the hair stood in the back of my head. Or if we're at a football match, we'd never get weird if you said that. And yet for some reason, when it comes to the presence of God, we get weird when his love and when his power comes upon us. Now, it might not manifest in us because sometimes it's very gentle. But if God is all loving, and the all loving God, the weight of the all loving God, I, I think that the love of I think that the presence of God manifests in two main ways in love and in power. And so if the all loving God comes upon me, if the weight of Almighty, all knowing, all loving God comes upon me. And somehow I can just contain all that. 
then that doesn't really make sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me that sometimes I would weep and I might fall and I might find myself almost shaken emotionally uncontrolled. It would make perfect sense to me. And if the all-powerful God, if the weight of all-powerful God was to come upon me, it makes complete sense to me that sometimes it would feel like there is a charge of something going through my body that almost I can't stop. That would make perfect sense to me. If the all-powerful God was to come upon me. So I just want to say that sometimes when the presence of God comes, do you give yourself permission to encounter his manifest presence? And if it doesn't come like that, that's totally fine as well because sometimes he just loves to rest on us and remind us of who he is. But tonight, maybe the band will come Maybe the band will come, could you? And we're going to respond in a moment. But let's just stay focused here tonight on what the Lord is doing, even just as the band come. The sixth point, which I haven't come to tonight, you see, you give me another week and I find another point, right? But it's simply this. Hi, guy. <laughs> it's simply this, right? The sixth point, Humility. And relinquishment of control. Relinquishment of control. To pursue his presence. That quote I read, I just can't stop thinking of William Seymour. It's just humble black man in a racially divided city watching the Spirit of God come in a room and they made him a makeshift pulpit that was two cardboard boxes and for the most of the meeting he sat with his head inside the box. I just can't get that picture out of my head. Just relinquishing control for the Holy Spirit to come and do what the Holy Spirit can only do. And so as we kind of draw this to a close, and I just feel the Lord wants us to respond. I think he just wants to birth an exclusive pursuit of his presence. And I feel like as we do that tonight, the Lord is going to birth <coughs> new hunger for his manifest presence. And I haven't been able to get to it tonight for time's sake. But you start to feel the fear of the Lord on you then, don't you? You start to think like David thought when he wanted to bring the ark back and he realized he'd some work to do before he knew he did. And he said these words, how can the ark come to me? How am I going to deal with this? Yeah. And so we're challenged to surrender fresh to the Lord. Why don't we stand? Where, where you are, why don't we just if you want to close your eyes to focus, you can you don't have to, but why don't we just open our hearts up to the Holy Spirit tonight, he's here with us why don't we just open our hearts up to him Jesus
So Lord, even as we talked about it tonight, we, we just ask in these moments that you would increase the weight of your presence in this room, God. You'd increase the weight of your presence in our lives. Lord, you'd give us a holy focus to want the one thing above everything else. Come, Lord Jesus. Just love us in the moments, just in these quiet moments, just as the Lord rests on us. Love us just to begin to lift our hunger up before the Lord tonight. Whether you want to do that in song or in quiet spoken word, just wherever you are, just start lifting that hunger up before the Lord tonight. Come, Lord Jesus. Stir our hearts of God tonight. imagine yourself just the depths of who you are just kind of offering it up to the Lord tonight just you just want to connect like deep crying out to deep tonight just, just imagine yourself lifting the depths of who you are up before him tonight just lift up that hunger to him the Lord is drawn to your hunger continue to see what the Lord does. Let the band lead us and let's just wait on the Lord tonight see what he wants to do amongst us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.